0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, I feel very nervous. I feel quite intimidated. I haven't spoken at church for five years. I think it was 2000. I don't think I've done anything like this since May 2013. Um, I, so Dad asked me this week if I would preach, and I said No. Uh, and I still stand by that. He said, you have to, I'm busy, it's Father's Day, this is what you have to give me as a present, bye. And then literally hung up the phone. And I still said no, for a number of reasons. Uh, but I called him up afterwards and I said, all right, how about this? I'm not going to preach. Because uh, I think the day that I preach is a day when I'd love to come back and talk a little bit about the last five years. Um, of my life and what God has led me through and the things that I've been going through. But until that day, what if I just share, just as a member of the community in Melbourne Life, just as part of the family, I'm just going to share from the heart and obviously reference everything to Scripture because that's the... It's a different... It's a different thing. It's different. It's different to me anyway Um, because, you know who am I to preach but I can definitely share from the heart so uh is that all right is that okay so this is just very relaxed I just want to share about uh family today because it's father's day and father's day is a tough one it's a, father both fathers and mother's day is a funny one cuz for those of us that have fathers it's great but sometimes we forget that there's actually quite a lot of people in our families and our communities and our lives that don't have fathers or mothers Mum shared this morning uh that she just lost a week ago her dad some people never had a dad and they've every year once a year had to come to church services we're all like yeah dads are the best and they're like i wouldn't know um so it's a it's a funny one and i i i kind of wanted to share i guess a little bit about that i that subject and and the subject of family um and just something that I think is very very profound about church and what God has established as the community of believers. Um, so that's kind of what I'm going to talk about today. It is family. It is because of Father's Day. But if you are fatherless, then this absolutely is for you and does not exclude. Um, can we just pray before I say anything? All right. Heavenly Father, we just humble ourselves Before you And we just thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. God, we know that while we were undeserving, you died for us and you gave us so many blessings and you gave us this life. And Lord, you've given us each other in this fellowship to have each other to go through this life until we see you again on the other side. And Lord, we're just so thankful for that. We're thankful for your presence in worship this morning. We're thankful that the team did such an amazing job leading us in to a place of your presence. And right now, we just sit ourselves at the foot of your throne. We believe in faith, as the word says, that you are enthroned on the praises of your people. So, God, we just, we, in some way that we don't understand, we believe that there is a giant throne in our presence that you are sitting on because we have praised you. And now we humble ourselves at the foot of that throne to receive from you in some way. God, I just pray that as I speak, that I would be a vessel not of my own opinions and of my own thoughts and experiences, but ultimately of your spirit and of your word. Um, And I pray that it's the truth of your word that people leave with today. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Awesome. Uh, So, last five years has been very interesting for me, and I'll tell my story uh, at another time, but... I don't know about you guys, but I just feel like I look around at the moment, and this is probably very much a reflection of the life I'm living at the moment. Um, For those that don't know, I'm a full-time professional musician or something. Uh, I say something because I don't really know what it is I do (laughs) all the time. Uh, I write songs. Um, Four years ago, I put out my own music, and I thought that was going to be my career, and then, you know, 17 people bought it, and... Um, no, I'm, I'm being superfluous. I knew, I knew that Marion would get mad at me when I talked that down. 17,000 million people bought it. Uh, and then it's so funny. You sort of you set out going what you think is the direction of your life and your career and then a door opens and you're like, I think I'll just go through this for a second. And then five years later, you're like, oh. Um, and I've had some great opportunities. I've written with some crazy people. But it's funny. I now live in this weird lifestyle where I'm, Not here a lot and you'll probably have noticed that because I'm frequently in LA for two months at a time writing songs for, I don't know, I wrote with Kelly Clarkson at one point. You'll never hear these songs, none of them. Most of the time they don't sing the songs that you write but I wrote with Kelly Clarkson, did a writing session with the Dixie Chicks. Um, They're as kind of weird as you imagine. You walk into the room and you meet them and they're like, hi, should we write a song today? And you're like, if I can remember how to and, you know. You sit down and talk about your lives and whatever. Um, but that's been my life, and I travel the world a lot. And the the thing that I'm thankful for, I've found an amazing church community over in LA that um, that I spend a lot of time out when I'm there. Um, they're called Basilea. There's like 30 of us that meet. Half of them are homeless. It's super rough. It's awesome. I remember on maybe my second Sunday there, it's this little, um, they meet in another church buildings, um, kind of gymnasium. And maybe second or third Sunday, they were like handing out hand sanitizer because they were like, there's just been a hepatitis outbreak in the homeless community. So and it's just awesome. It's super raw. It's, it's exactly what it should be. So they were like, so we've also changed our morning food to packaged food only just to be safe. And I was like, this is awesome. This is what life's about. Uh, but I, through my... Job and through my life, I've had the chance to travel a lot and see the world and get a very kind of broad world view. Uh, And it just feels like the world is insane. Does anyone else kind of feel this weird? It just feels like things are getting out of hand a little bit. It feels like there's a lot of fear and a lot of anger everywhere. I mean, I remember listening to a young senator, a young woman um, who won her senate primary and I'm so interested in American politics now because I have to spend so much time over there but this young woman in New York who talked about she was like I'm a child of the 90s when I was I remember growing up and it it was all about Furbies and pop culture and the Backstreet Boys and everyone was there was this kind of innocence where she said now I look at all the families that are living in the same communities that I grew up in and it's it's all about nuclear war it's all about am I going to get deported? It's all about racism, it's all about identity politics, it's anger, it's frustration. And I think that, uh, I hope it's okay for me to say that my observation is that I think we're all in some way affected by this. We all can feel this kind of atmosphere of tension and weird ideological divides, like all of a sudden, you know, like, these guys believe in that political ideology and these guys believe in that one. We all used to kind of intermingle, whereas now it feels like there's this giant chasm in the middle of us and we're all just throwing hateful rocks at each other some of the time. I mean, we, I mean them. Obviously, we're all full of peace and love in the church. But uh, but the world, it feels like greed has is just out of control. It feels like money and you look at, you know, literal national parks are getting decommissioned as national parks so that they can dig for oil and kill bears and, you know, all because a bunch of rich guys know the right politicians to kind of buy the legislation that lets their kids go hunting. Social media is making us all insane. Has anyone seen Facetune? Does anyone know this, like, Facetune technology? You can now, like, take photos of your face. Really nobody here knows what this is, Facetune? that's so good. (laughs) I love how daggy our church is. That's my favorite thing. Uh, But Instagram, like, think about this. In the 90s, right, like, once upon, I mean, I say the 90s because that's when I was a kid. Um, uh, I feel old, but I guess I'm not really that old. Uh, But in the 90s, or when, when I was young, I remember, like, the pressures of, like, celebrity and fame and your image and the way you photographed. We all kind of understood it in a cerebral way but mostly we we got that that was mostly about famous people that celebrities had to look good in photos in magazines and celebrities had to you know carry themselves in a certain way and have ripped abs and skinny wear skinny dresses and things but with the advent of social media all of a sudden now all of us have the opportunity to be photographed a hundred percent of the time 24 hours a day so all of a sudden all these things that once were ideas that we just thought philosophically applied to the people that sat on the covers of our magazines are now part of our own lives so you know once upon a time photoshop was this invisible ghost that just occurred between the photography studio and the cover of a magazine now kids take photos on their iphones and you can like smudge out the blemishes you can make yourself look younger it's the most it's so weird when you see someone that's done it, like, to a really, like, when you see, like, people that are, that are a bit more experienced in life, that have lived a bit longer than some of us, have just, like, airbrushed themselves to oblivion. And you're like, are you 12 or 95? I can't tell. <laughs> are you human? Uh, but it's, it's, it's strange to think that, like, the human face is not enough anymore. Like, a person's face isn't good enough. Like they need to change they need to change it. that's the world we now live in. I see it in music like once upon a time, you could just get in and if you had a big, expressive, soulful voice, then that was powerful, and we all wanted to hear from you and it's not just about the aesthetics of it it's uh it's not just it's kind of like in the in it's like a great singer is not just a skillful singer but they know how to communicate emotion through their voice, right and soul is about. You know, someone with a really odd voice can be an incredible soulful singer just as much as Aretha Franklin with a hugely powerful voice is a soulful singer, and Celine Dion with a perfect voice is also a very soulful singer, not because it's perfect, because it's her and because she has a way, she's spent her life communicating the truth of her experience through this instrument that she has. Well, I now experience in my work watching these young singers that can't sing to save themselves get tuned Their voices, they now through technology have their voices so perfectly tuned that it just irons over every imperfection so that pretty much there's not a single song you'll hear on the radio now that's just a human voice. It's a human voice with technology helping iron out the imperfections, but really what I think is it irons out the bits that make it them. When you listen to old Mariah Carey songs, you listen to old Whitney Houston songs, they're imperfect. They're not perfect pitch. Whitney Houston sings sharp and flat all the time. Listen to I Will Always Love You. But it's it's about the soul. It's about the human being that's communicating through those things. But the message of pop culture right now is that your voice is not enough. Your face is not enough. You are not thin enough. You are not young enough. You are not good enough. And so when we walk around bombarded by these insecurities and then we go to work and we don't earn enough because some guy that runs one of the seven corporations in the world is trying to be even more powerful than he is because who knows, he probably wants to buy out a sinking island in the Pacific or something. But these guys don't pay us enough, so then we feel insecure. We can't buy the cars that we want that will make us feel good. Uh, Everything just feels insane. I saw this really funny post about somebody... Um, who had a, it was a social media thing, I don't know if it was real, but this woman had posted an absolute meltdown on Facebook uh, because she was getting married to the love of her life that she knew sh- since she was 14. And her dream was to have a Kardashian-style wedding. She just wanted to be ridden in on a horse and carriage. She wanted to go to Aruba. She asked everyone for money. She accepted pledges of three to $5,000. She didn't understand why that couldn't be her special day. The wedding was only going to cost 60000 US dollars. Of course, people didn't do it. The maid of honour didn't want to spend $5,000. And she was overwhelmed. And, you know, she was like, why, why don't people get this? is my special day. Everything's just insane. Like, even the fact that the Kardashians are billionaires. I mean, I don't know if... This is just the world that I, unfortunately, am very keenly aware of as somebody that's sinking in pop culture. But... Uh, there's was a story about Kylie Jenner, who's one of the Kardashian siblings. And they're very easy to kind of get mad at, but they're still people and, and, you know, beautiful human beings. But they have these weird positions of influence where one of the kids used to put lip fillers in her lips. So she went from, like, very thin lips to suddenly very full lips. And so all of a sudden, all these teenage girls and teenage boys were like, I guess full lips are better than normal lips. And then... Just recently, she changed her mind and the news was Kylie Jenner stopped using lip fillers. And so everyone was like, ah, I've wasted all this money on lip fillers. Now this trend has gone back. It's crazy. Women are unsafe. Women have always been unsafe. But especially now, I think we're starting to be much more aware. I mean, people can't walk through parks anymore, women. We're only just starting to hear stories about every single woman in our lives that, you know, Turns out, I've had really rough experiences. And it's not just out in the world, it is also in church. When that whole Me Too thing happened, there were a lot of women that were like, I've experienced it in different subtle ways, but I've also experienced sexism or abuses of power, sometimes physical abuses, but mostly emotional or even economical within the church. Um, people are angry. People don't know the difference between men and women. There's a huge debate going on right now. What is a man? What is a woman? That's an interesting question. On one fundamental level, we think, like, surely it's obviously about the mechanics of the situation. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes there are people that are born with multiple <laughs> mechanics. <laughs> we talk about... It, I've been, I mean, there's this fascinating podcast series that talked all about this. And so they were like, you know, and we obviously think there was a big thing in the 60s or 70s where they were like, it's a chromosome thing. And then they learned, oh, actually, the chromosomes aren't quite as different as we thought. No, like it's this particular gene that shows up, and then they're like, oh, actually, that gene kind of shows up in both, and the genetic information between both is kind of unique. And these things are questions that we are bombarded with in the world, and we also, as disciples of Christ and as people in the church, I think, need to be ready to ask these questions. What is the difference between a man and a woman? I understand what the Bible says about the role of a man and a woman, but it doesn't necessarily say, you'll know a man because this, and you'll know a woman because this. And we have to ask those questions and be okay with sometimes the gray area of the answers. And obviously there is an answer because God knew all these things were coming. God knew all these things would always have been around. But this is the this is the storm within which we live right now. This is the The environment of the world, it's certainly the environment of my world. You know, I'm confronted by people every day that are struggling and grappling with these issues and feeling frustrated that the world wasn't built to accommodate their marginalised experiences and their marginalised lives. Politics has become so violently... I feel like I've painted the picture. I feel like you all understand. I just kind of wanted to share some of the things that I think about when I go to sleep at night. Uh, it's a really fun time in my mind. Um, <laughs> sometimes I've, I think I have thought, in, in the context of these thoughts, I've walked into churches and often found myself going, "How, God, how is this relevant again? You know, when you think about it, if you're someone that feels stuck, I was listening to this story of uh, a they they want to be referred to as a they because they spent 50 years of their lives as a man but felt so confused and was like, am I gay? Am I straight? Am I a man? I don't know. Found out when they were 50 that they had been born intersex when they were a kid and their parents literally just made a choice. They were like, yeah, you'll be a man. They were like, all my life it like, was in agony whenever I would have to pee and had kept having to have surgeries and things. Anyway, turns out this person had spent 50 years of their life never even quite understanding what they were before they could even get to the question of who they were. And they talked about that on this podcast. And I think, you know, sometimes I walk into churches and I think, what does this all look like for someone like that? And all of us, to some extent, we don't have the most extreme expression of that kind of identity crisis, but in some small way we all do, right? Because if you think about it, God created us, to live completely engulfed by his presence, but sin separated us from that. And so all of us, to some extent, have the identity crisis, whether, we, whether it manifests itself as I don't know which gender I am or all the way down to I don't know if I'm supposed to be doing the job I am or whatever. We all carry this crazy insecurity. And sometimes I look at churches in the way that so much of Christian life functions and I just think, God, how does this help that person? Like imagine walking into a church if you're in that kind of marginal situation and it's like, men, we we're God called us to be this and women, God called us to be this and you never speak to that person who's like, I don't know which one I am. And I use them as an example not to just be like, you know, we're all intersex or whatever. It's more just there are aspects of the human experience that I think sometimes I look at the way church culture has grown from the 90s to today. And I think I get... Scared sometimes. I'm like, God, what are we doing? And you know, I get I have had times where I've looked at greed and I've gone, well, you know, the world is greedy, but church isn't greedy and we we help everyone. But then I also look around and sometimes I'm like, man, some churches have so much money and the Vatican has so much gold and some Christians are so successful and and they live right next door to people that have nothing or people within their own, some pastors within their own community, they have people that are struggling to pay rent and they still and these pastors have like five different cars and two houses and a couple of motorbikes and I sort of think, God, there's so much greed, there's so much insecurity. Some churches have their own airbrushed social media pages and I know it sounds bleak, it's all going somewhere, but these are the things that I think sometimes. I think, how can it be relevant, God? How can it be relevant if all the same trappings that are throwing the world into chaos, are potentially throwing us into chaos as well. Um, and God always reminds me that what Jesus did when he gave us the gift of the church as he left was he started a family. And to me, this is why I've always been able to come out of the, the storm of frustration Or when I look, when I walk into churches and I'm like, what is happening? This couldn't be less relevant to somebody that's really struggling with their Christ identity in the world. This couldn't be less relevant. You know, it's funny, even just as a small side note, I had the chance to play at the uh, Grammys this year with Kesha, this song that I had written. And you would think in the life of a musician, that would be like the dream to go into that environment. And it was so funny walking in to that stadium. but It was at uh, somewhere in New York, Madison Square Garden walking into the stadium and just having this weird like existential reality check of being like oh it's just this and it's so funny to think like like as the musician that's supposed to be desperate for that kind of stuff I really just went ah this isn't why I'm on this earth this isn't why I'm here this doesn't speak to my desire to make art or to make you know music that glorifies God uh and it it does make me laugh that, you know, some, some of us have been guilty in the past in church culture of trying to create that experience, thinking like, this is what you want. And it's so funny. As someone who should really want that, I walked in and was like, yeah, it's definitely not this, you know. Um, but when I think about what God actually did with the church, he didn't start a political party. He didn't start an organization, he started a family. And we know that it's the bride of Christ and we know that it's the government that he's established. But what I wanted to do was just give you a couple of scriptures that encourage us that actually at its fundamental level, the church is a family. And because of that, it will never be irrelevant. In fact, it will always be the absolute salve to the craziness. It will always be the solution and the answer and the safest place. It is the oasis, ideologically, politically, Spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, the family of God is actually the oasis in the insane storm. Uh, I'm just going to give you a couple of scriptures because I'm not preaching, I'm just sharing, um, but also so that you don't think I'm just making it up. Um, Romans 8, 14 to 16, where it says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Uh, Ephesians 1 verse 3 to 7 talks about how we are adopted as his sons. Ephesians 2 19. <clears throat> if you're writing these down, it's worth looking into. Ephesians 2.19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God, people, God's people and members of God's household. 1 Timothy 3:15 says, I am writing to you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. It's constantly referred to as the family of God, the household of God. 1 Timothy 5 verse 1 to 2. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And it's really a powerful thing when you think about with the the pace at which civilization is now traveling, hurtling towards something, who knows, like... I can't wait for the day when, like, robots become, like, the singularity. Is Anyone familiar with that concept? Like, artificial intelligence. At some point, it's going to happen. At some point, artificial intelligence, so Siri in your phones, at some point, artificial intelligence is going to become conscious of itself in some way, and what is that going to mean? What is it going to mean when they create robots that, like, think like us and act like us i think about this stuff all the time like if somebody has a hand replaced with like a robotic arm what difference would it be if like their whole body was replaced and they were just a head on a robot's body that is an interesting question to me at what percentage what if it's just their consciousness and all of a sudden like what if we found a way to take their brain and put it into the body but these are like i know they're weird questions but you think like as Christians, we have to think about why does morality apply to us and how does it... Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I won't get sidetracked. But when I think about the way, the direction that the world is headed, the wisdom of God was to make the most boring social construct, the most routine, banal home environment, which is the family. You think about what a family is. The family dynamic is incredibly boring. It's not headed anywhere. It's not going anywhere to achieve anything. It's just about day-to-day life with each other. Everyone goes off and does their things, and then you come back and you have a meal. It's about everybody doesn't get to choose who's in their family. You're forced to live with the different ideologies, personality types. And what God in his wisdom did was create a family. And he's done it before. If you think about when God created the earth, this is a principle... Uh, that we talk about in DMS. In Genesis 1 verse 26, God made the earth, He created it, and uh, filled it with plants and animals, and then put people on it. And what did He do when He created Adam and Eve? He said to them, Hey guys, welcome back. You sang really well today. Uh, He said, Go forth and multiply to Adam and Eve. He said, Your job on this earth is to be a family, to multiply yourselves to subdue the earth. Then when Jesus came to earth thousands of years later, uh, died on the cross and set up the new kingdom, what did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, go into all the world and make disciples of men. He essentially said the spiritual version of what God had said to Adam and Eve. He gave them a new kind of a new family commandment. Um, And that was the beginning of the church. And it gives me so much comfort when I think, okay, God, that was your wisdom, was to create this boring little safe environment. And I say boring only in the sense that it's about the beautiful repetition that family is, where you can just come as you are. You have no choice. You just have to be who you are in your family. And you can change and evolve in your family like, yeah, we get it. It's just dad. It's just mum. It's just Michaela. She's watching today from home so I can talk about her, and she won't mind. Um, and when I think about what the world really needs, it, it is a family where those kind of where all the outside rules don't apply where it doesn't matter what you look like like church is literally the place where it's like <laughs> who cares what social media tells you you should have who cares what but also we should also then say but you know if you've got needs that need to be met we are all here to help meet your needs emotionally economically if you guys can't pay your rent we should know about it because we should be helping you i'm in a weird position where i i've made a bit of money off my song that I wrote with Kesha. It's not a lot of money. When I think about how much time I've invested over 10 years, it's probably about what I should be paid per hour. But it's all come at once, having lived on the poverty line for 10 years and mooched off these two for a while. And I'm just definitely confronting being like, okay, God, what do I do now that I have a bit of money and and how do I confront the f- not just the ideology that I need to be generous with it, but actually how can I be generous with it? How can I have Financial security, while other people in my family don't. Um, I want to just share now a couple of scriptures from... I've already gone way longer than I thought I would. Um, Let's just look very briefly. There's a passage in John that I've shared before and I really love. Um, But I want to focus on this because this is really what I I come back to as the most profound thing about Christian spirituality and the Christian faith, which to me is so profound in what Jesus kind of achieved. Uh, it's in the first epistle of John, and I love John and the way he writes. and I think if you're ever going through any kind of crisis of faith and you struggle to read the Bible or you struggle to connect, can I just recommend read everything John wrote, John's Gospel and his epistles? Because if you read a lot of the other writings in the New Testament, they're written by young men in the moment. Uh, they are literally Facebook status updates. Jesus just did this. Oh, my gosh. Like Matthew, Mark, Luke, they write like, and then this happened, and then this happened. And even Paul writes with the fervor of someone who had like, he's like kind of like mom. Like he had the most unusual, outrageous conversion. And so he's like, everybody will die for the for this truth. And, and it's, I mean, it's amazing, and it's faith-filled, and it's powerful. But there's like a youthful vigor to it that I I can understand. Sometimes you're like, the nuance of my life doesn't necessarily... feels a little overwhelmed by these writings. Paul's like, if something sins, cut it off, kill the foot or whatever it is that he says. I read my Bible a lot. Um, What I love about John is that John waited because John, when Jesus died, Jesus said, John, will you please look after my mother? And so John did. John started a church looked after Jesus' mother, and he actually waited until quite late in his life to write and to do his ministry, which means that he lived among people, lived with the family of people and of believers, of ragtag rebels at the time. They would have all, probably a lot of them would have been cut off from their own literal family because of their conversion and the way that Christian the Christianity worked in politics at the time. They were probably isolated from a lot of their own blood relatives and communities, but they came together in this family that John pastored. So his writings have the wisdom and the presence of an old man. You know when like, you know when the, the goth kid comes home like crazy makeup and, you know, whatever, just going through their phase and then grandpa's like, it's fine, mate, how you doing? John kind of writes with the resignation of like, yeah, I've seen this before. I've seen a whole bunch of people go through this. You know, John's the one that says like, don't sin, but when you do sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Not as if he was suggesting that it's permissible, but he understands that the human condition is that it's inescapable. And so he has the, the knowledge of how grace works. So John writes in 1 John 4, I mean, this, his, the first epistle of John is full of things about, um, about the way that love works in the family. He talks about anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness How great is the Father's love that He has lavished on us, that we would be called children of God. Um, I'm not even going to give you the Scriptures and verses because you should just read the first epistle of John. Um, This message you've heard from the beginning, we should love one another. But for me, the crux is 1 John 4, starting at verse 7, where he says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know Whoever does not know God, sorry, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then my favorite scripture in the whole Bible. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So in the context of the family of God, John, as he writes about love and the way that we should love each other, makes the most amazing, and I've said this before in church, but it's been many years, and, you know, when I think about the craziness of the world, and I think about, God, what have you given us? Is it the big stage and the lights? And is, you know, and all that. I know we know it's none of those things, but... Even when I think like ideologically, why does church sometimes feel so out of step with why are we not talking about the things that people are really going through in their lives? And then I feel like, what hope do we have? God reminds me of this where he says, no one's seen me, but if you love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, then my love is made complete in you and God is love. So the community, the family that we have, the love that we share and cultivate is literally the face of God. That's the way to see God on this earth. It's not to make a movie about him. It's not to write poetry about him. It's not to talk about him eloquently. It's literally to love each other. That's how the face of God is revealed because it says God is love. And when we love each other, his love which is his identity, is made complete in us. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, his love is made complete. To me, that's what's so profound about family and why I think it's always good to kind of reset every now and then. I mean, we've been through some interesting times in the last few years as a church, and I, the last time I was here, you know, we had a lot of older people that were still around. <laughs> uh, And a lot of people have moved on and for a number of reasons and that's totally fine. But you know what? In family, we're still here. There's something very simple about the way that church can be such a beautiful, safe space for those that want to come as they are. And I just, when I think about, you know, the church that I want to see and the way that I hope we grow as a family, I hope that we continue to be that kind of environment. I think the world is about to go through some more pretty big, crazy changes, even in our own politics now with this weird, very weird swing to the right. When I was in America and Trump was running for election and things, I was always like, ah, oh, you guys are nuts. At least in Australia, we even our version of, you know, conservative right thinking is still pretty left. Like, Whereas now we're starting to see that's not you know we're starting to see this weird faction of like conservative politics trying to pull even more to the right weird nationalism this weird idea that nation that that a line that was drawn around a nation centuries ago by old men means something spiritually like ultimately no i mean Paul says there are no Jews or Gentiles and but we, like this weird like idea that like we should be allowed to kick people out of one side you know keep people out of our country. There's just a weird, there are weird times coming. And I think the answer is going to have to be the face of God as it is expressed through love that people have for each other. That the world will know that we're his disciples, not because of the things we say or the standard we set even. I think that's a weird thing. I think churches sometimes thought maybe if we just model our lives well. But I think that doesn't work because God didn't say, They'll know you by how well you all live and how, how rich you are and how blessed you are. It's by the love you have for one another. That's how they know that you're my disciples. Um, it's interesting. There, there's a podcast I was listening to that talked about two reporters who were in uh, America running around the Midwest during the 2016 election when Trump was saying all those crazy things he was saying. And they just happened to be there talking about... Um, talking with the people about, like, politics. And they were just doing a bit of a survey on American communities and the way people thought about immigration and immigrants and foreigners and wars and um, Medicare and all these different things. And what they found was so interesting. At a local level, if there were, like, immigrant communities in, let's say, a small town in Idaho somewhere... At a local level, everyone in the community loved these people, were helping out, they loved... They had refugees come and stay in their homes and in their, you know, neighbourhoods, and they would invest and they would look, look after... They loved the philosophy of, like, helping each other's needs and paying for each other's bills and all that kind of stuff. All the kind of liberal left-wing... Wh- who cares? Just the things about being a kind human being. They loved that philosophy. But when it came to national politics, the very same people, if they asked them, and so what do you, what's your stance on national politics... They were hardline, brutal supporters for whichever party that they subscribed to, even if it was at the expense of all the ideologies that they had just talked about previously with these um, researchers. And they were saying it's, it's... I do feel like sometimes that exists a bit in the church, where this idea that when you just talk about the ideology of faith and of Christianity, it's very easy to forget real human beings. And when we just talk about the ideas of things... Not in the context of family, it's easy to be very hardline, very religious, very exclusionary, and to be like, well, this is just how it is. And yet, I think that the wisdom of God was to create family so that we would collide with each other's imperfections and nuances because it's only once you actually see how the gospel works in the context of people's lives that you understand what Jesus really did, how grace really looks. Deb Hirsch talks about that. In her book, uh, Redeeming Sex, where she says, it's only in the context of community that you really understand grace and the grace of God. Um, and so I guess, you know, if I, if I leave you with anything, it's just the hope that I think we have as believers. We know that materialism doesn't mean anything, so we don't have to be slaves to it. We know that we don't have to look perfect, There's not even, what does that even mean? There's no perfect according to who? Who determined what perfect was? You know, we are not slaves to pop culture. We don't have to dress a certain way. We're allowed to be, you're allowed to come as you are. And we need to hear each other's stories. You know, we unfortunately live in a time when ever since language first occurred, ever since human beings got the ability to write down, then stories belonged to those that were privileged enough to be able to write them you know, beside the fact that there were many communities that were able to communicate their heritage and their histories orally and through song and different things. But really, in the last 500 years since the printing press happened, stories have belonged to the men typically, and usually white men, although that's a different issue, who were privileged enough to be able to tell those stories. But it does mean that we haven't grown up necessarily in an environment that celebrates hearing the story from every single person. But you know where everybody does get the chance to tell their story? Family. Around the dinner table. It's not dominated by one narrative or by one, and obviously the only narrative that frames our lives is the Bible, but I'm talking about experiences. I'm talking about the things that we go through on a day-to-day level. I'm talking about, I might get up here and say, you know what? God has blessed me financially and I'm so thankful for that. And you might get up here and say, you know what? That is literally the opposite of my experience. And we need to hear both of those stories. We need to hear the person that's like, I am conquering everything in my life right now because God's grace is amazing. What a story. But we also need to hear from the person that's like, I fell down every ditch you could possibly fall down and God's grace is still amazing in my life. Those are stories that we have to hear at the dinner table. Um, I think it's the only way that we survive and it's also the only way that we can truly be the church is to really, it's the way that we get away from how big the church is, how many people come. I mean, it's, how safe is it? How safe is this environment? That's the stuff that we need to be saying. How loved are we? How much do we love each other? This little community, it's funny. I mean, I, I was here when we started this place. There were five of us sitting around a kitchen table at Sekakilor's, you know, house. Uh, And I remember in the early years, you know, when I was young, I was 13, too young to be involved in starting a church, but who who knows, I I was into it. Uh, And I remember at the time the anxiety of like, will people come, will people come? And it's so funny going to this church in LA where there's like 30 people. It never once has occurred to me like, Will there ever be 3,000? I'm just so happy to see the homeless people come and feel safe. And I don't know, there's something about this, this oasis, especially somewhere like L.A. where it's so insane. Um, we are family, which means we're imperfect. We're all allowed to be human beings. We're all allowed to have our imperfections because we're all heading in the direction of this amazing kingdom that Jesus has built for us. Um, so yeah, I hope that that is encouraging as family i I think just to close, I wanted to just really honor Mum and dad and uh especially Dad for Father's Day. You know, I think one of the great things that you guys have been through a challenging couple of years for sure, and I know that we've had a lot of shifts um and different and if you're you know if you're visiting today, I apologize for that, but Um, We've just had a couple of big sort of interesting shifts with leadership and things in our church. But, you know, the one thing that we've always had, I think, is a pastor who leads like a father. What's great is that you, as we've gotten older and you've transitioned from, like, authority figure to friend, is the nuance with which you love us and appreciate us as kids. And I think both you and Mom, I think that, You guys have really led us as parents, and yeah, I just want to honor you today, partly because the Bible says if you honor your parents, you'll live a long and prosperous life. So it's certainly, it's the only commandment with a blessing at the end of it. Thank you. Thank you. Everything I do is selfishly motivated. Um, But no, I just, if I can encourage everyone, just remember that we're family, and it's as simple as that. It's so simple. I don't think it has to be any more complicated than that. And the world is desperate for it. Because I'm telling you, it's not gonna, the answer is not coming from pop culture. People creating pop culture are too rich and powerful making money out of skimpy women to ever change the tide on that. It's not going to happen. Nor should it happen, because the solution is the people of God and the body of Christ and the truth of the Bible. Awesome. Is that all right? So that was just me sharing a little bit about what God, you know, um, yeah, I would love to come back sometime and 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 talk a bit more about my own testimony and things. But um, I think, yeah, let's just strive to build the safest, most loving environment and family for any visitor that comes, whatever need, whatever margin they sit in. We can't slot you into a solution, but we can point you to Jesus and love you in the direction of home. So,
1: all right. Uh, <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, I, I guess I was going to, I guess we'll just get the band up. Let's do that. <laughs> I didn't really think ahead on how to, well, I was going to, I mean, it feels a bit long now. No, let's not sing a song. Let's, all right. Uh, well, I was going to just, I'll just sing this because I know it's one of Dad's favourite songs and I thought this would be a nice way to finish the service. Um, That's a seamless transition. Thanks, Dan. Um, Yeah, maybe I know everyone's got to rush off to Father's Day things and I think you should, but yeah, try and go out of your way to say hi to someone that you don't know today. Um, Because, yeah, there are people out there that probably aren't with their fathers and... The constant reminders can be a little sad. So yeah, just let's find those people and make sure that they feel safe and loved. Uh, I haven't played this song for a long time. I didn't think ahead.
1: As I come into your presence past the gates of praise into your sanctuary to where standing face to face I look upon your countenance I see the fullness of your grace I can only bow down and say You are awesome in this place, mighty God. You are awesome in this place, Abba, Father. You are worthy of all praise. To you our lives we raise. You are awesome in this place mighty God As I come into your presence past the gates of praise into your sanctuary to where standing face to I can only bow down and say, sing with me.